And welcome back to another episode of Speaking Literally, where the books speak for themselves. I'm Liz. And I'm Holly. And let's get straight in with Bookish Buzz. So Mallory Blackman, who's the author of Noughts and Crosses, um, has become the first children's and YA author to be awarded the English PEN, uh, P-E-N, Pinter Prize. And now this award is presented annually to a writer of outstanding literary merit and it's based any writers based in the UK, Ireland or the Commonwealth. So have you read any of the Noughts and Crosses series at all, Holly? I have not. Um, I hadn't even really heard about this. Uh, have you read any of them? I read the first one. It, it is really good. It's kind of like your typical um, like metaphorical race war as such. Mm. Um, but no, it's, it is very interesting. It's, it's well written. Uh, so yeah, no, very well deserved. And it's good to see kind of a diverse writer kind of getting that prize um i also like the idea that um you know that uh, an author who writes children's and ya books um is winning a prestigious award as well um you know i hate to admit that a lot of times when i see like the the awards like book awards i'm like i have never heard of that book uh i've never really read that (laughs) book Uh, and it makes me feel horrible because i feel like i am you know not you know, necessarily reading all of the different types of books <laughs> yeah. I should be reading, but I, you know, I, you, everyone should, you know, read what they want to read, but mm. it, it's, it's really cool to see a YA children's author, um, and book when, win an award like that. Definitely. I think it shows that kind of the, the quality and the caliber of YA fiction is really improving and really kind of getting as good, if not slightly better than adult fiction, because, Obviously, in the past, YA and children's would have been had quite a bad rap as being kind of quite basic and mm-hmm. not particularly something an adult would have wanted to read. But I mean, I read a lot of YA fiction because it's often better than adult fiction. It's so well written, really good characters. So it really proves this award really proves that kind of the official bodies are now recognizing that that. Exactly. Uh, and speaking about award winners, um, Kalani Pickhart's debut book, I Will Die in a Foreign Land, wins the Young Fiction Award. And um, we know that there's been a lot going on in the world, especially between Ukraine and Russia, and everyone just keep, kind of keeps their, their eye on what's going on over there. Um, and this uh, Pickhart's debut book is set in the Ukraine. Uh, so that's kind of a pretty cool um situation there too that you know such a a prominent book right now in a in a setting that is you know front and center in the news all the time wins this award so kudos to Pickhart and to Blackman yeah Yeah. so good got some book winners good news (laughs) um so carrying on from a topic that is in pretty much every episode um is the book banning um so According to a recent article from Publishers Weekly, uh, book banning is now leading to serious mistreatment of library workers, so librarians and the staff um, at the library. Um, And overall, around about 68.5% of um, survey respondents said that they have experienced violent or aggressive behaviour from patrons at the libraries. Um, And furthermore, a significant amount of of those responses, 22% in total, said they've experienced violent or aggressive behaviour from their co- from their co-workers, um, which is crazy. I mean, it isn't the librarian's fault that these books have been banned. Yeah. Well, who they need to be taking out on is like your leaders and your government officials. It's 
absolutely crazy. I was stunned when I saw this. I guess I never really thought about it. And, mm. you know, you hear so much, like, right now, it, um, like mental health and all of that stuff you know in the workplace and having those those resources for employees has been a huge especially during and coming out of covid uh, because people's mental health has just been yeah. really attacked but i guess i never really thought about um libraries i always view libraries as a you know almost like a place of refuge where you can go and you can mm -hmm. find books and, and lose yourself and actually help your mental health. Um, but Definitely. for almost 70% of library staff to say, yeah, we've, you know, had, you know, we've experienced violent and aggressive behavior from the people coming in. Like, I don't, I, I don't understand violence like that in general, but just it doesn't make any sense like yeah be, you can be upset that you know people are banning and censoring books and pulling books and and things like that but i guarantee you if you asked a librarian they're going to be like i wouldn't have pulled it if i wasn't told i had to like exactly ah it's just like mistreating other people Come doesn't on, bookworms. You, you're letting us down <laughs> yes and i i was mentioning to you liz before um we started recording today that my childhood best friend's older sister is the head librarian of a um, of a town's library in Florida, and I'd be really interested, having seen this, um, to kind of reach out to her and and see what she's experienced and what her staff has experienced mm -hmm. in in her library in Florida, because okay. uh, you know Florida can be one of those states that's a little crazy when it comes to some of the things <laughs> that they act upon. Um, but yeah, so if you want to find more information about that, um, you can, uh, it's the information's up on Publishers Weekly and something else that's up on Publishers Weekly is HarperCollins, you know, big publisher. They have a strong union, obviously to support their workers and they have apparently approved a strike because the union is continuing to try to work um, to, to come to an agreement on contract terms. So right now, all of their unionized workers, there's about 250 that are impacted um, in the design, editorial, legal, marketing, publicity, and sales department. They're all working without a contract while they're under contract negotiations. Um, so even though the strike has been approved, there's no date for a strike. Um, and they're basically what they're they're asking for higher pay, improved family leave benefits, and a greater commitment to diversifying staff, and then stronger union protections. So right now there's no strike, so businesses as usual with HarperCollins. But oh my gosh, Liz, if they go on strike, oh don't just don't. They might might delay books. We can't have that. I know. Just is that in America only? Do we know? that's a great question um i don't know as as we go on i'll i'll I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll i'll google i'll google it um so yeah i don't know that's a great question that's crazy that is crazy um on to a slightly bit of better news a bit happier news uh we've got one more adaptation which is coming to simmers um that is the um, coming-of-age novel by Judy Bloom called Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. 
this came out in 1970. I just Googled it, which is a long, long time ago. <laughs> and it's, um, it's being adapted for the big screen, which is due to release April next year. I cannot wait. Like this was a big, big book in my childhood. Um, which, you know, this book's been, I mean, at what point does a book become a classic? Cause this book was released 52 years ago. Um, I mean, around about that time, they're, they're still kind of calling them modern classics, aren't they? Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, I this definitely would fit the, the mold of, of that. It's just, it's okay. such a, such an influential book in so many of our adolescent lives. Yeah. Um, I, but I can't wait, I can't wait to, to see it. And <laughs> I'm definitely going to make my, teenage daughter go see it because she's she hasn't read the book um and it's funny because there are parts of that book that like looking like if you were to read it now knowing the age that most you know kids read that book you know like i don't know i would say like you know probably around like 10 10 ish 9 10 mm-hmm. um because that's a lot of judy bloom's books um would fall around that age you know you you read it and you're like Hmm, is that really content I want my <laughs> ten-year-old daughter reading? Um, so it's 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 gonna be a really fun a fun movie. Yeah. Like it's it is really oh, gonna be fun. So, um, so this week's New York Times bestseller list. Hey, surprise, surprise! Guess what authors on there multiple times? Could it be Colleen Hoover? <gasps> what? How would you ever come up with that answer? Um, so, yeah, right. So, just a reminder that the the list that we pull from is the combined print and ebook. So that includes um, the trades, you know, softback books, the hardbacks, and like Kindle e ebooks. Um, number one is not a huge surprise right now. It's where the crawdads sing. Um, yep, it sits in the top spot right now. Uh, we know that we're about, what, 12 days away from yeah. the big, big release. Days. Cannot wait. Um, oh, so excited. I'm so excited too. So my guess is it's probably going to remain number one at least until, like, even yeah. after the movie first comes out. I think we'll see it's still, still sitting in that top spot. Unless Colleen Hoover brings out another book in the next two weeks. <laughs> yes. Yes. You are 100% correct on that. Because while Where the Crawdads Sing is number one, number two, three, and four are all Colleen Hoover books. Um, so we've Thank got, you. yeah, it's no surprise. And it's the same ones we've been seeing. So in the second spot is um, It Ends With Us, then followed by Verity, and then followed by Ugly Love. Again, like okay. well, just just to um, just to let you know, we don't have another one coming out until October. So okay, another Colin Hoover. All right, so it's, it starts with us. So I'm guessing it's the sequel to It Ends with Us. Oh, that would probably be a smart, you know, conclusion to draw from that. All right, so <laughs> my guess is I'm going to predict that that book will enter the the list at number one, yeah. and then yeah, it starts. It ends with us will be number two. <laughs> Yeah, and then we just got to see if she can then, you know, I'm sure the other ones will remain in the top, so we got to see if she can take on the, t- the, the whole top five. Exactly. Because right now she has Tell number Kayleen, two. Tell work harder. Yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, but the top five does round out with um, The Hotel Nantucket by Ellen Hiddlebrand, 
Um, so this was this is a, her her new release. So it's been um, it's, I think it's been out for about three weeks now that it's been on the list. So it it rounds out the top five. Uh, and yeah, I know, <laughs> yeah, I, I know that she she writes a lot of those summer kind of reads that take place um, okay. on Cape Cod and, and Nantucket and those beachy resort areas. Mm-hmm. Um, the other list that we've been kind of starting to monitor in the last several episodes is the YA hardcover um, book list. That's the one that we kind of started looking at because one of us was lying has been number one on that list for, um, I don't know, years. Um, it's still It's still pretty high up on the list, but... Number one slot right now is Victoria Avogard's new book, Blade Breaker. So that's the sequel to um, her series, Realm Breaker, and that's number one. But rest assured, One of Us is Lying does come in at number two. How is One of Us is Lying still that high up on hardcover? Because that's been out in paperback for ages, hasn't it? It has. I don't know. Does that mean, does that, mean that hardcover is still very easy to get in over in America? Oh, yeah. Of that, do you think? Yeah. Okay. I think hardback. Yeah, I mean, over, yeah. Yeah, because over here, usually once paperback comes out, it's kind of difficult to get the the hardcover. Really? Because it kind of replaces each other. Hmm. You don't see as many copies. Like once the paperback comes out, you don't see as many copies of the hard the hardcover. Yeah. But you can still get them. And sometimes on like if I'm ordering a book off of Amazon, like after the paper copy has come out, sometimes the hardback copy. Oh, may only yeah. be like a dollar more, so I'm like, for a dollar more, I'll get the hardback. <laughs> like, yeah, um, Amazon's fine. It's more like the bookshops that yeah. it's harder to get the hardcovers. Yeah, oh, no, that's interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, so there you have it with the bookish buzz. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to get into talking about some books. You know what we really, really like to talk about. So we'll be back in just a second. And welcome back. So next section, we are talking about what we're reading. So Holly, what have you been reading? So I finally, I know you'll be super happy to know this, finally read Under the Whispering Door by TJ Klune. Um, you know, and part of why I kind of put it off is because I'd read um, House on the Cerulean Sea and yeah. just, I don't know, it's like I feel like, you know, I'm still having a, a book hanger hangover like a year a year later after having read that book because it was just so beautiful and so amazing and then Mm. this book came out and people were saying great things about it but they weren't as great as the things that people were saying about cerulean sea um so i'm just like i didn't want to be disappointed by it uh but at the same time it's like you know, I, I really wanted to read it. And, yeah. you know, I had read an interview uh, right before I started or just after I'd started reading it. I read an interview um, that TJ Klune had done about okay. about the book and about how he wrote it as a way of dealing with his own grief after losing um, uh, uh, his his I don't know if it was his partner or whatever to mm-hmm. cancer. And this was part of his grieving process wow. was to write this book. And so um, this book is, like, you know, Liz, you've read it. There, it, it, mm-hmm. it It's yeah. all about really death and, and what comes next 
and, and that grieving process. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was great. It's, it, you know, what, it's funny. I don't know why I picked up on this, but TJ Klum must love Cerulean, like as a color, because he actually <laughs> mentions Cerulean several yeah. times in this book. Didn't I, didn't I say that to you when, when I was reading it? I was like, yeah, he said like Cerulean so many times. Yeah. So yeah. I picked up on that as well. And I guess, you know, you probably would, especially if you've already read that book, but it's just like, cause you don't really hear the word Cerulean in like right. everyday it's conversation. No. <laughs> uh, but I loved it. I loved, um, yeah. you know, Wallace, you know, is again, just like, kind of like Linus in Cerulean C, a yeah. very unlikable character, um, who, who evolves and is taught a lot of lessons by yeah. the, you know, all the other characters that are in there. Um, chef. yeah, I know. Um, but like between Nelson and Hugo and May, yeah. um, they're just, they're, they're such a, a colorful, eclectic group of characters that come together to create this like found family. And, you know, and it, 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 it was, it was hard at, at moments when they're talking about all these different people and, and, and their deaths and how they died and, how the people left behind were impacted by it, especially like mm. um, Nancy, who's a woman who comes into the tea shop frequently, who lost her daughter. Like listening to to those scenes was was hard. And then Cameron is a character that becomes very big towards the end, and kind of like mm. is a pivotal. Um, marker for some things happening at the end of the book and and his experience and who he is and that there's others like him out there um is 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 sad but even in the sadness it's such a a hopeful book it's like there's just i just i i really really did enjoy it and i and i loved you know the seriousness and the, the the severity of some of the the conversations and the balance that Hugo brings from his role, how it balances out with the humor um, and the fun loving yeah. aspects of of Nelson, and it was just uh, it really is a heart heartwarming great story and. Um, and I was really glad that in the interview, and I don't know if this is a spoiler for anybody, but he said it in his interview um, <laughs> that he is very strong in happy endings in his books. So, uh, which if you've read either one of these books, you know that he he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he comes through with happy endings. And so, yeah. which I really appreciated because this book you know, had its very sad moments and, and it, it did. It had it, to be a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and it was, it was, and they talked about death, like they talked about suicide, cancer, mm-hmm. heart attack, like just the sudden death. Like they, yeah. they addressed all different aspects of death, which, you know, trigger warning, if you're going to read it, just know that it is definitely, um, there are moments that are a little tough to read, but uh, at the end of the day, it is life. And that's, yeah. what life is about but i i absolutely absolutely adored it i just ugh, i loved it i loved you see it. i was quite lucky because i well i did it the opposite way around to you so that because i actually found that one on net, net galley before it just before it came out um so i read under the whispering door first before house and cerulean sea mm. so i got to enjoy kind of both of them separately and 
I think I was glad that I didn't read House of Cerulean Sea first because that was such a massive impact that I think I would have been a little bit reluctant as well to read the next one. Um, but yeah, Under the Whispering Door is such an emotional tale. It's such a, a beautifully well told. And even like the little details like the tea and the power of the tea. Yes. Um, I thought that was such a beautiful little touch. Um, but that's what he's known for. He's known for these little kind of the details, the little details, which really kind of can make such a big impact. Yeah. And just the character in general, like, you know, where Wallace is kind of like your, your prime, you know, character in this book, um, because everything kind of revolves around, around him and his experiences. But Hugo is such, I think there's even more depth to Hugo than there was to Wallace, where Mm -hmm. Hugo didn't really have to go through any type of character development like Wallace did. But Hugo's character, he's, you know, I don't even know really how best to describe him. But I just, like, I feel like if I was to meet him in person, he'd be one of those, you know, soft-spoken, very, like, introspective, really, like, take, like, thinks things through, processes things, Mm -hmm. and feels. He is, like, he, he, he's a huge feeler, um, with the emotion which you know in the book he serves as a ferryman um helping the dead cross over and for him to be such an emotional cult like a collector of emotions almost is what hugo is Mm. has got it, it has evolved him into who he is because it's like he sees all these people who you know have just died and uh, and that that's kind of a big a big part of the story too is is learning that process of how he and May, who is the character who goes and he, she's the reaper who goes to find the people to bring them back to the tea shop um, for Hugo to help. It's just like how it ugh, like it's just it's so good, so good. I think just just the imagery was done so well as well. The fact that like. The whole idea of going to this tea shop as the in between between life and death, because um, I mean, what's what's cozier than a tea shop? Uh-huh. So I just think it's such a really nice imagery, and they're talking obviously about the whole garden scene, like where they went into the garden. And it was like yes. it's just like it's always got. I always find that he always has like a really nice kind of cozy feeling. Mm-hmm. It's really emotional at times, but at the end of it, you're left feeling cozy and like warm um inside and like it like a hug and a mug <laughs> yes exactly exactly a hug and a mug is the most perfect way to describe <laughs> how you're how you feel when you're when when you're when yeah. you close that last that last page it's such a great book i couldn't recommend it more um you know I, I've seen, like I said, I've seen mixed reviews about it. And I think you do need to be in the right frame of mind to read it, knowing what the topic yeah. is and what those trigger warnings are. Um, it's not like House on the Spree and Sea, which you can just pick up whenever and it's going to make your heart just bloom. Um, you know, because yeah. this this was written as, you know, there's grief in here and trauma and death. and um, But yeah. to have such such a powerfully wonderful ending... Um, it was great. It was great read. So that's uh, that's what I just I just finished that last week. Um, so I'm you know currently working on. I'm still reading Hotel Magnifique. 
Uh, <laughs> Which I finally bought. I finally <laughs> <got it. laughs> um, I'm over. I'm over the halfway point. Um, I'm enjoying it. It's oh, does it have like a cool sprayed edge that you like to? Um, no, nice. like, that's cover, isn't it? Oh, I love the cover of it. I do love that. The purple and, yeah, the, and the gold. So much. Oh, just a normal. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm really loving it. You know, it, we talked before that it kind of starts off with that night circus vibe, but, um, it doesn't, it doesn't stick with the, with that, with that vibe. It doesn't have like that elevated elegance of language, but it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a little bit darker. Um, like there's where the night circus was a little bit more, um, I don't know. I just feel like with the night circus, it it always was a little bit more positive and like you know they the night mm-hmm. circus was to bring joy to people in this. Um, there is a much darker side to the Hotel Magnifique, which I I like that that darker side that yeah. you know. But I'm still kind of plugging through that one too. All right, so um, what are you what are you lis- or listening to? You're listening to me ramble is what you're listening to. <laughs> what are you I reading? I ramble for hours. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. <laughs> um, I well, I've just finished reading about a few days ago now, The Priory of the Orange Tree uh, by Samantha Shannon. So I wanted I was looking for something that I just wanted a big book that I could really absorb myself into, like a big sort of fantasy world. Um, and this definitely kind of ticked all the boxes. It was an epic fantasy. It was about 800 pages. Whew. So it was a, yeah, it was a beast of a read. Um, but it was just, it was such a brilliant read. Um, it's about uh, this massive world who, as always, is separated into kingdoms. You've got the East and the West. One side believes in one religion, which is the um, the Virtudum, which is like, a, they believe in loads of different nights, like the Night of Courage, the Night of um generosity mm-hmm. and they believe that dragons all dragons are evil and that they're spawn of the nameless one who's like kind of the devil as such and then you have the other side of the world who have some they don't they believe that the nameless one is bad and is evil but they do have dragons and they actually some they have dragon riders who are warriors uh, so it's all about basically a thousand years ago, the nameless one rose up again and tried to destroy the world, but he was bound to, um, below the earth or somewhere. <laughs> um, he was bound and, and stopped from the, from the destruction. So it's all about them trying to carry on the world. Um, and then kind of a bit of danger from the nameless one potentially coming back after a thousand years. But yeah, you've got you have the different um, point of view, which is really nice. Obviously, as you know, I love the multiple point of views. Absolutely. And, and you've just got like really good imagery, and yeah, the world is just is so vast and so um, expansive. And you've got things like the dragons. You've got the um, even like they've made up fruit. They have special fruit and the food. Everything is described really, really well. Um, and it's nice because even though you've got different characters, you've got so many characters, it's easier to remember than Game of Thrones. Um, I think just because it's, I'm not sure why, but it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, you've got a few kind of main characters. You've got Eid, who is kind of a, your typical um, born into poverty, born as a nobody, 
uh, but has managed to kind of rise a bit um, in the ranks. And she works for the Queen as a handmaiden and such. And then you've got Tane. I think it's pronounced Tane. <laughs> um, who's, uh, who's training to be a dragon rider on the other side of the world. So, yeah, it's really, really good. Um, and there's some brilliant battle scenes in it. Um, but it was a beast. But, yeah, no, it was really, really good read. Definitely recommend. So, with it being so long, like, you know, the only books I've really read that are that long would be obviously some of the, the Harry Potter books. And that's just Harry Potter, so you can't really compare any of the Harry Potter books (laughs) to anything else. But really, the only other books that long would be, um, like, um, the um, Sarah uh, Mass's uh, books with the Mm. um, Court of Thorns and Roses. And in there, you know, there's... It's almost like those books were a little bit too long. Did you find that this book being as long as it was was the right length or did you feel that there were things in there that um were in there simply so this could become this long epic book yeah. i think i mean it was definitely more engaging than a court of Thorn- thorns and roses um i think it's because the world creation was done so much better okay because they were describing each kind of area each kingdom and there was so much more going on whereas with with Akatar, it was mainly just focused on her, mm-hmm. not really the wider world, whereas it's focused on all the different kingdoms. So it kind of gave you the a massive overview of what was going on around. So I think um, I think it was yeah, it should have been that long. It should have been as long as it was because it it didn't feel slow. It didn't really you weren't reading parts and going oh god hurry up because um, <laughs> the way that it's quite interesting the way that they split up the the nar- narratives was there was one from east, one from west, one from north, one from south. So rather than saying what character, you could work it out from mm. kind of the way that they're talking. But yeah, they did it on east, south, west, north. So you had the um, the narratives from the different areas, which was really interesting. Hmm. But yeah, no, it was really good. And I think the last one, probably the last book I read that was similar length, even that, because I read uh, Brandon Sanderson. But no, that wasn't even that length. I think that was about 600 pages. Mm. So it's probably the last one would have been Akachar the same. Yeah. But no, it was really good. Because, I mean, I, none of the, uh, even the from um, uh, Flesh and Blood books aren't <laughs> blood. What What is that series called? Oh, no, they're lo- uh, from Flesh and Blood. Yeah, uh, okay, I was um, right. Right? From Blood and Ash. From Blood and Ash. I'm like, I knew that. How the... did we forget that? I don't How know. Because <laughs> there's so many books. It's hard to keep them all straight. Um, but even those aren't the... quite as long. I think The War of Two Queens was the longest one, wasn't it? I think so. Actually, I've got my Goodreads open. I will have a look and confirm it for you now. Oh my God, how far back was it? Um, It's crazy. Like March-ish? <laughs> oh, okay. uh, yeah, it was March. We read it in March. Uh, let's see how many pages. Oh, there's only 654 pages. Yeah. So, so it is close, but. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I don't know. I think that the, that six, 600 seems to be a, <laughs> a, like a good max for me, unless it's, unless it's yeah. like, you know, Harry, like again, Harry <laughs> Potter, like you just, but not even all the Harry Potter books were that long. Um, there's only the last ones. Yeah. Like the, the last few and like Goblet of Fire was huge. Yes. So. Um, I think even Goblet of Fire was only like 600 and something pages, though. What I remember. 
Um, yeah, I have them all right here. Um, Goblet of Fire was, let's see, 734. Okay. But um, Deathly Hollows, which I... That was the beast. That was the beast. And that was... Well, not too much longer. 759. Okay. So it was only yeah, like 20 I'll pages longer. Check. Let me have a check how many pages this prior to the Orange Tree was. Uh, it is so. eight, 830 pages. <laughs> Uh-oh. So, what? Liz, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? So we are going to take a quick break, and we're going to figure out our technology issues. We'll be right back. I think I'm math backwards now. Oh, my God. Okay, uh, that's fine. I'll leave it. I'll leave uh, it okay. <laughs> we, we have figured out our technology issues, people. Um, you, Everyone should know that we're just a hot mess. So yeah, this just par for the course for our show. All right, Liz. Blame it on the heat. Blame it on the heat. We're in a heat wave in England <laughs> and in Phoenix, so <laughs> it's pretty hot. Technology doesn't like it. All right. Back to the books. So the length of the book. You said that you feel that it worked for what it needed to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I don't think it could be a huge amount shorter just because of the kind of expanse of the universe and of the world of the kingdoms Um, and just because of everything that was going on. I think it was a nice, um, it was a nice length. So, yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't change the length of it. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a really really good book, and it was just what I needed. I just needed something to kind of really escape um, into and kind of just absorb into a, a kind of big expansive world. Um, so yeah, it did it did its job. Awesome. Um, other than that, I am uh, I've been reading the, the Daughter of Doctor Murray, um, Brunette Gay, which is uh, like a kind of a sequel to The Island of Doctor Murray by H. G. Wells, uh, which it's okay so far, but it's difficult not to compare it to H.G. Wells. I mean, he was kind of the genius of sci-fi, so mm-hmm. it is very difficult not to compare the two. Uh, but I'm still quite early on in that. Um, other than that, uh, I have, as of yesterday, started our book club read. Yay! <laughs> yep, and you've caught up to me very, very quickly. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't have much on. I mean, I don't, like, in this weather, you don't want to go outside. So I've been kind of just chilling. I did quite a lot of reading last night and this morning. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty much up to the same same point. Um, I've got my beautiful edition of um, Our Crooked Hearts from Waterstones. It's Waterstones exclusive. So it's got some pretty sprayed edges, which as soon as I got it, I sent Holly a message going, look at it. I know. <laughs> you and your sprayed edges. <sighs> I love him. I'm very jealous. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm also currently reading it. We're so excited to have our first book club book discussion um, for our August episode. So we are looking for some bookstagrammers who have read it or are reading it who would love to join us um, and 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 talk about the book. Uh, it's Definitely. like, you know, I knew it was a fantasy. I knew it was a little bit of a darker fantasy, but it's like a creepy fantasy. Like there's definitely some moments in it where I'm just like, oh, that's, that's, that's kind of creepy. Yeah. I mean, it's more kind of, it feels like a mix mash, but not in a bad way. It feels like kind of supernatural thriller fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just from the, the things that we've seen and things we've read. Um, but yeah, no, uh, yeah, really enjoying it so far. It's, 
I love a, a dark fantasy, mm-hmm. so it's it's really nice and it's clearly an adult fiction. It's definitely not YA. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's surely not YA. Yeah. <laughs> So it's it's so we're not going to talk too much about it. We're going to save all of our mm-hmm. discussion for our August episode. So if you are interested and want to join us for all of our shenanigans talking about the book, uh, just look for our our information regarding it on Instagram, and you can just um, message us, and we'll we'll get all the arrangements uh, as far as like the time and, and everything of of when we'll we'll meet to record the episode. Um. So Liz, what are what are some books that are coming up this month? Okay, so we've got quite a few coming out this month. The first one is Upgrade by Blake Crouch. Um, in the UK, that's already out. And in the US, it's coming out on July 12th. So as of this dropping, you'll only have a few days to wait. Yep. Um, then we've got Wake the Bones by Elizabeth Kilcoyne. And that also comes out in UK and US on July 12th. Um then we've got, obviously, a big horror writer, Dean Koontz, and he is bringing out his new novel called The Big Dark Sky, and that's on the 19th of July. I'm super excited about that one. I love <laughs> Dean Koontz. I haven't, read, I haven't read any of his for a while, but, yeah, he, I did enjoy some of the novels I've read. Um, then on the 26th of July, we've got Booked on a Feeling by J.C. Lee. Um, who, she's already written quite a few books, hasn't she? I, I didn't recognize the name, but I don't like, I don't read a lot of like the rom-com type books. Like I've just kind of just started like reading more of them because I don't like romance, romance books, but I do love like the ban, like the, the banter and the wittiness of like the fun little beach read rom-coms. Like I've really started enjoying those, um, and we'll, I was going to say, you've read quite a few this year. Right? Yeah, so I have. You're getting into them. <laughs> I, I'm definitely getting into them because I, I, just, I just love that that lighthearted fun, you know. Um, yeah. and, and just like, and the authors tend to be really good as far as like creating the dialogue. And, you know, coming up here in our final segment of the show, we have Jillian Libby on who will be interviewing because um, she just had her debut book come out in June, um, Four Ways to Wear a Dress, uh, which is a fun a fun summer rom-com if you haven't checked it out yet. So we'll be talking more about rom-coms here in a couple minutes. Um, and finally, we've, as I just mentioned a minute ago, The Daughter of Dr. Moreau uh, by Sylvia Moreno Garcia, and that comes out on the 19th of July. So most of them are pretty much this week and next week. Uh, so a lot to look forward to. But yeah, rom-coms are best in summer. I just feel like they're the perfect season to, to kind of sit down in the heat the nice cold drink and just a nice easy read yeah between that and like the ones that you read in like at the holidays like the i was gonna say yeah the christmas yeah. ones are like oh, <laughs> <laughs> those we, those are the best i can't wait to read them all with you again like this year last year we read quite a few together didn't we we did we did um and so like well the summer we read book lovers um yep so yeah, so it's 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 fun. Like those are those are the two types yeah. of books I like. I do like the Christmas holiday, snowy, wintry books. <laughs> Hallmark style. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> yes, I want to read Hallmark Christmas movies all winter long. Um, they're my favorite. And then in the summer, I want to read fun little rom coms that are taking place in quaint little small towns. So that's super yeah. fun. All right. Well, so that's what we're reading and books that are coming out. So um, we're going to take a, a break. 
now and when we come back we will be joined by none other than author um, Jillian Libby so um, we'll be right back and welcome back I'm so excited Liz aren't you very excited so we are currently uh, joined by author Jillian Libby hi Jillian hi so Jillian Olivia is, she's a writer, she's a mom, she's a wife, she's also a dog mom. Um, she currently lives in Connecticut after uh, living in New York City, having a plethora of experience in marketing, PR, styling, film and TV. And we are so excited to have her on our show to talk a little bit about her debut novel, Four Ways to Wear a Dress, that was released the very beginning of June. So Libby, thank you so much for giving up some of your time to talk to us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, so first of all, um, Jillian, why don't you just tell us a little bit, um, kind of a little bit more about yourself and a little bit about uh, your writing. I, like you said, I'm a, I'm a writer uh, and a mom, and I live in Connecticut, and I've been writing for a very, very long time. Writing um, novels is something I always wanted to do. Um, I was a theater kid and uh, growing up, and I always took a lot of playwriting classes and sketch comedy writing classes, but I never really considered the idea that I would want, uh, that I could one day write a novel. And then um, after we moved out of New York City, and I was like, looking you know I was looking for different jobs different things that were sort of in line with what I used to do um and nothing was quite the right fit and then I uh, honestly I say this kind of lightly like it's a joke but I literally woke up one morning and I was like I'm gonna write a book my husband was like how about a short story maybe start with a short story and I was like nope gonna be a book and I just started writing and you know the first one didn't work out. The second one didn't work out. Third one, I got an agent, but that one didn't sell. And then this one, and then it was basically like, I was like, all right, I'm just going to write, not the craziest book I can think of, but like, just sort of like, a, a sort of more of a wild character, just very, very silly. It, to me, it was sort of like silly. I'm like, oh, and then there's, and then and just stuff I liked, like surfing, and I just like threw it all together in a pot, and it came out this book, and it was the one that sold, so it was great. <laughs> That's <laughs> I mean, awesome. Obviously, that is pretty cool. Um, so obviously, Four Ways to Wear a Dress is your your debut novel, which is really exciting. Um, and in it, social media plays quite a, a huge role in the book, um, and obviously, like being an influencer and things. So why was that an important part of of the novel? Um. I thought it worked really well with this character who she's she struggles but she doesn't really struggle with her ADHD but she struggled with accepting it for herself um, and it fit well with her sort of impulsive nature to be like I could do that it probably is going to be easy. It's going to be great. And then it really, I mean, you look at influencers and you're sort of like, how hard is their job? And it, it, it I mean, as somebody, I mean, we're all on social media, like, especially now trying to pr promote my novel, like it's not easy to like get more followers and create content and know how you want to present yourself on online. And I 
really, I was, I think while I was writing the book, I was really fascinated with a few certain different influencers and how, and, and sort of the boundaries that they pushed and the, the personal information they gave out. Um, and it, it is really fascinating and it's a big part of all of our lives. Um, even with other books that I'm writing or thinking of, I'm always like, there is always a social media aspect because it's almost like using the phone, you know, now it's, it's how we communicate. It's how we all interact. Hmm. It, that's so true. And I think about like the fact that, you know, younger and younger kids even are, are creating their own accounts. And, um, I just saw this, like this yesterday when I was, um, hanging out and surfing on Instagram, you know, that, that parents even set up accounts for the, their babies and like they'll post pictures of their kids and they'll be like, mommy and daddy are so proud of me. And, and, and then I have a 13 year old daughter who has like no interest in it. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel that way a lot for my daughter who's almost 10. I'm like, she's not really interested in it. She's not like, I don't even think she knows what TikTok is. And I'm like, let's keep it that way. Um, <laughs> And it's, but at the same time, I do sort of see the point in uh, grabbing your kid's name and just so you have it, because you don't want to, um, you, you don't want them to not be able to get their name, um, or you don't want somebody else to get it and be able to do something weird with it. Hmm. Um, so I, I can see both sides of it, but I, I, for me, I'm, I'm definitely gonna like caution my kids I think the happiest kids are the kids who aren't involved in social media however I would I don't I don't if the kid wants to I mean like this is not my you know, if your kid wants to you're fine like I don't know my, it has nothing to do with me like I won't judge you I just, I just hope I, I think for my kids it's probably not the right move yeah and I think a lot of it has to come down with the safety like that whole child internet safety mm -hmm. and yeah um you know and, and it can be scary you know my son is 16 and last fall um there was a situation that occurred um that ended up I I gave his phone to the police for for six weeks um wow. yeah and it's nothing like he didn't do anything illegal he didn't do anything you know it's just he you know things people like those online predators they find the kids and they yeah. reach out to the kids mm -hmm. and um so it's it's yeah so i'm glad that my daughter's not on it and um, like he and, was did he come to you and say i'm getting these weird messages yeah. and wow yeah. that's great though but that's you know you that's why we talk to our kids about these things and... exactly yeah. uh and you know and, it, and it's scary you know with the social media i know this is completely off topic of your book but social media does play a huge role in your book yeah. um but it's you know i work in a public high school and you know it, it's really scary how many times we have kids come to us and with social media issues whether it's like bullying or they made a really poor choice and sent something they shouldn't have sent and mm -hmm. um and it's just it's 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 so hard so yeah so online safety is so important at, at the um at such i mean at any age but especially when you know they're kids and they don't really know any yeah. better um but i love the fact that social media in your book is pr is presented more as you know i wouldn't say fun but it is it is much more of a light-hearted approach um and like a business yeah like, they really are these are women who 
live in the small town, there's not a lot of opportunity for um, careers where they live, but they're able to make livings this way and, and help their families. Um, at the heart of it, really, they're just trying to like support their families mm-hmm. and, and, and make a life for themselves. I could see when you were talking about like the baby's accounts, I could see like Alana definitely making accounts for her kids and, and being like, let's, let's monetize these accounts, like different, <laughs> different, different revenue streams. Cause I, she's savvy. Like she would definitely do that. I loved it. Um, you, you kind of already mentioned that Millie has um, ADHD. So adult ADHD is another um kind of topic that's approached and one of the things about your book is it it, I mean it's a it's a fun light-hearted rom-com perfect beach read it came out the perfect time um but you had so many different elements in it you had that huge piece with the social media you have um you know the the ADHD piece why was it important that you gave us um a character that you know in so many books we have perfect characters you gave us a character that actually has some real life real world challenges yeah that I when I first started the book that was I wasn't in there and it definitely I kept thinking about Millie and I kept feeling like something was missing or that I was missing something about her and then I realized that that was a perfect connection for her um and it's, I mean, I, I always want to write something that reflects the world we live in, um, people that you encounter, people that I've encountered in my life. Um, and um, I, it's something that I've, it reflected a lot of my experience growing up with ADD and AD, or it, it was ADD back then, mm-hmm. now it's ADHD. Um, and, and just how it's, it doesn't, it, it's just a piece of who you are. I mean, some people, you know, are, I mean, I'm going to compare it to something silly, but like people have like a lactose intolerance or a, you know, or, or just something different about them. And it's not going to change the course of their life hugely, but it does have an impact in the day to day in the, everybody has something right. Every, there's no person who's like, yeah, I've got 2020 vision and I'm hitting the road and everything's great. Like everybody's got something. And I think it's important to talk about those things and not have it swept under the rug and, and just keep going with your life, you know? So I think in all of my books, if it's not the main character, there will be characters that just have something that reflects the world and and not hiding behind whatever makes someone different and unique i think that's re- that's really important i mean things like adhd it's not given enough of the spotlight it's not really discussed enough in books so i think that's really important that kind of we get characters that you see the other part of them that isn't necessarily perfect or isn't kind of social media friendly as such yeah um, and so- i think I agree. I think it makes you, I think it makes for more interesting people. I mean, there's no, Mm. no person who looks like they have a perfect life is an interesting person. Um, You want to see the things that 
challenge them and how they deal with the challenges. No, definitely. And I mean, like all books, obviously, when you're going through the editing stage, um, often a lot of the books uh, have large amounts edited out. For um, your most recent novel, did you uh, did you edit much stuff out? Was there anything major that kind of you wish you didn't have to edit out? No, I, I write pretty lean. It's more like I when I first write a draft, I call it a skeleton draft. And it's just me trying to get the basic part of the story out. And I sort of then layer stuff in. So I don't usually have to cut a lot. Um, I often add more. Interesting. <laughs> huh. So, so um, I have questions about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so when you write your skeleton, so looking at four ways to wear a dress and it's a skeleton, what would you say was something that you ended up going back and adding in? Um, the dress, ironically, was something that came later. Oh. Um, and that became sort of how we planned it to make it into three books. Um, there, I wanted something that they were going to share. Um, the girls, I wanted something that would connect the girls more. Um, after I got feedback from my editor and my agent, it was sort of a we were planning how we're going to make this a series and we (laughs) and we came up with a few different things um but I we decided that it would be um and it took a lot of convincing for it to become a black dress I'm I'm such a you know as a writer you kind of like you're like well I'm more creative than just a black dress and so I I had this whole plan (laughs) this whole plan about it was going to be this vintage dress and there was going to be like paint on it for this artist who made, I mean, I had this whole story. And then I watched this Aubrey Hepburn documentary and there was a line in it about how a black dress can be anything. And that's why, how she was able to make a black dress. So, um, so famous and so unique. And I was like, Oh my God, they're right. It should be a black dress. A black dress can be anything. That's why it has stood the test of time. And I mean, and I, it's funny because like, I love a black dress. I, I have a huge amount of black dresses. I wear them constantly. I wear it black all the time. Um, and for, so I was like, fine, fine. Correct. That was the correct statement <laughs> in making it a black dress. Um, so with, um, so add it, like adding in your dress, did you always have Millie being a surfer? Um, yeah. Okay, so why was that an important piece of her her character in the book in general? Because there there is a moment or two in there where the topic of women surfers and how they're perceived um, kind of plays out. Kind of like an, another one of your little big big ideas that you kind of sneak in there. Um, and and I know that you like to surf yourself, I believe. Oh, I used to. I think those days have passed now. But, like, I did spend some time trying to really commit myself to becoming a surfer. Um, and being able to call back that time was really, really fun for the book. Um, it was important because I there's a lot of perception about surfers that they're slackers and that they're um, sort of aimless travelers and – while that is super appealing, um, it's it, it, 
I think for Millie's character, who her parents are always worried that she's just not going to find her way, that she's going to wind up being sort of a surf bum, not really amounting to much. Um, I think it was it was a perfect opportunity to um, show that it could be a hobby like anything else. Like it's it, you can be a successful person. And, I mean, plenty of successful people are also surfers. Um, but to move to this small town where not a lot's going on, not a lot of opportunity to surf, and it it, it really seemed like she was just going out to chase the perfect wave. But there was I wanted to show that there was so much more to to that pursuit. So pretty much like breaking the stereotype as such. Yeah, and and there's a lot of stereotypes with women surfers, like I talk about in the book, and it is really hard sometimes to be a single woman, especially a young woman out on the water where you're surrounded by men you're, and some of them are not welcoming and especially, and some of them are have some very unpleasant ideas about what they would like to do with you out there. Um, and it was important for, for her to find her own um, strength to, through that. Yeah. So um, obviously you did kind of drop uh, earlier on that this is going to be made into a series. So tell us a bit more about about the series and what's next um, for you and, and for your writing. So the, so the first book follows Millie and then you get to meet in the first book her two best friends, Kate and Bree, and you also meet Quincy, who she goes out to California to, to stay with or be with. And um, so the second book is going to follow Kate and her adventures, which are, um, which will take place as of now. I mean, it's that's unlikely to change. Um, she goes back home to Vermont, and um, she's gonna learn to snowboard, um, which she has resisted her whole life. <laughs> and then Bree uh, is gonna get the dress for the third book. But that is, I'm just starting that one now. So there's really. I mean, I kind of know what's going to happen with Brie, but that's likely going to take a lot of change. That's going to take a long time to shape that one. I think so. The second book's all written then, is it? The second book is written. It will, it's, it has not been revised, but it's been written and it's, it, it, it's come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> Was it harder to write the second book? It was so hard. It was so hard because... I never, re- when I f- was first writing the first book, I had an idea for a, se- a sequel or a tie-in book and it wasn't for Kate. And so it was the first time somebody had been like, well, the second book could be this. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that I could do that. That sounds great. Um, but then sitting down, I was sort of like, oh, I hadn't thought of a book for you. I hadn't thought of your story. And so that was a, more more of a challenge than I was anticipating. Um, writing under contract is a different experience than just sort of writing and and seeing what's going to happen. You with the, with the contract, then I'm assuming you have like deadlines you have to meet, and you have deadlines, and you have you have expectations in a way. And and I'm not someone who gets uh, too concerned with reviews or or people's perceptions um but I was sort of like oh like oh now you're expecting 
a book <laughs> that was like this. And, and I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't know. Okay. So Did my best. <laughs> so then who, like what, in, what inspires you when you're writing? Like who or what do you pull inspiration from? I mean, I have tried to answer that myself <laughs> and I have no idea. It's really, I mean, sometimes it's just, um, uh, random conversations like in the third book. Um, I, I mean, I really hope that this happens, but I have this, I have, look, cause I just am starting the third book. I have this idea for, um, a couple who runs a vintage clothing store, but like they were, they, they love their, their product so much that they kind of won't sell it. And, and, and that came from an experience I had, um, shopping for vintage clothes where I was like, can you? can you just show me some more things that are like this? Like, can't you just, and they're like, yeah, we have them, but we just, yeah, I don't, I don't know where it is. And you're sort of like, what, <laughs> what are we doing? And so I, and I just thought that was so great. Like this idea of people who like, anyway, so things like that, different experiences that I've run into, um, I love to tweak them a little bit and, and, and use them. Well, maybe you'll be able to get your vintage dress with the paint splatter on actually to make maybe an appearance. One, <laughs> one day. Yes, exactly. That that dress is definitely going to be in that store. <laughs> I'll be like and and Bree's going to be like, "Ah, you know, this look this could be this could have been a great dress." <laughs> you're like justice for the paint splatter dress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bring it back. <laughs> Fantastic. So, I mean, just going along kind of similar lines, who are some of your favorite authors that you like to read? Oh, boy. Um, I love uh, Tessa Bailey, Jasmine Gilroy, Emily Henry, who doesn't. Um, uh, I'm reading right now Meredith Shore's book. She and I have the same um, pub date. She's also debuting this year, and her book is so fun. Um, I love Kate Spencer's debut. I've been reading, like, I've been trying to read a lot of the debuts um, that are coming out. I feel like we're just like, it's like you're, it's like a bunk at camp. You know, <laughs> you're like, I'm like, we're all doing this. Um, Allie Brady's book, The Beach Trap, is so great. It's, I'm, I'm loving all the summer reads this year. It's so, it's been so fun. What about Colleen Hoover? She's everywhere. Oh. Well, of course. I mean, I'm like an old time Colleen Hoover. I read Colleen Hoover like years and years ago. I'm like, that's that's great that you guys are all all like coming around to Colleen Hoover. I get it. Like, she's the champion. Like, <laughs> it's like it's someone being like, oh my god, have you heard of Christina Lauren? Great books. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like, of course. <laughs> well, I've heard of Colleen. Hoover. I have I have yet to read one of her books. Oh, yes, but. I've read yours. Yeah, well, that's great. Um, Colleen Hoover's great. She, I mean, I, and I'm like so happy for all the success that she's like exploding with. Like, so well deserved. She's put in the time. She's so awesome. Like, it, it's. I love to see it. I love seeing that. So, if speaking of the authors that you love. Who would be an author that you would love to collaborate with? Oh. Um, Allie Hazelwood, like her, I did a little interview with her and the the ladies, the Allie Brady girls, and she was so hilarious, so quick witted, 
in person that I, well, in person, it was like virtual, but I was, and she was joking about, she was like, oh, we were teasing the Allie Brady girls about how they're teaming up and how it's so fun to like co-write a book. And I was like, I will co-write a book with you. This, I mean, she is so funny. amazing. I would love yeah. to co-write with her or collaborate with her. Yeah, no, Holly still hasn't read the love, love hypothesis. Keep it's telling her she has to. It's super fun. It's so it. fun. It's good. I know. It's, it's sitting so on my good. shelf right behind me. <laughs> I mean, book. I know it's so hard. It's so hard. There's I. I still haven't read the new Emily Henry book. Like I, I love Rainbow Row. I love Rainbow oh. Row so much. I haven't read the next one in, in this in her series. Like I, <laughs> so many books. I have so many books to read. It's too many books. To, like too little time. And they no, keep coming like... out. <laughs> I think we need to like go back instead of like books being released every week maybe like every other week so that we have time to get caught I up I haven't read Casey Question's new book I love her writing oh my god anyways <laughs> <laughs> so um, obviously we've, we've talked about kind of who inspires you and we've talked about a bit about your writing process um but just mostly going into the writing process a bit more are you the sort of person that tends to do a lot of planning first or you just go straight in and write I just go straight in I sometimes will just sort of collect little ideas little points of conflict care some characters um I don't outline, I don't, I would love to outline, but I just don't. It's almost like I just want to get started. And I feel like outlining is, is just like what it's like a procrastination. So I don't, the, because I'm so distractible and I'm such a procrastinator, I think it's better for me to just dive right in. I can, I'll make notes little, I have like a notebook and I'll make little notes about, you know, things. And I'm always trying to, my my problem is always trying to heighten the stakes enough. So I will constantly be trying to think of things to heighten the stakes um, and and figure out what's important and what my characters want. And I'll be jotting those things down. But for the most part, I'm like, chapter one, here we go. Where are you? <laughs> um, and, and um, but I am so jealous of those people who are like, oh yeah, I just, that my, my outline really kept me on track the whole time. I'm like, that was so do you know where your book is going like do you know how you want it to do you at least have like kind of like a a, like a mental outline of like I'm gonna start here and I'm eventually gonna get here that will eventually lead me here yes a little bit um but I do I do I mean it's subject to change obviously but I mean, you, the good thing is about writing romance is you know there's you know you're going towards a happy happily ever after happily ever after. Um, so you do kind of know what you're writing towards, um, but I don't usually know how they're going to get there, um, and that's it's you know it's fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this happened? Okay, great. <laughs> I don't know. So then what, and I, I think that, you know, every writer probably has one, um, but what's your kryptonite? When What's your writing kryptonite? What do you mean? Like, what? 
like what like what holds you back what's where do you find your obstacles where do those those challenges come from I mean time management I mean is something that's not maybe it's not time management it's more just like the sitting down to do it managing my time man I guess it is because it's like you know I have my kids are still pretty young if I can't write if anybody's in the house so like everybody's gotta be gone um or or I mean honestly that's true like so if I mean when my kids are home I have a really hard time writing um but so it in a way it helps because I when they're at camp or they're at school like there's a small chunk of time and it's like I've got to get this done now or it won't happen today so um that is I guess good and bad but and also like I just and and the internet like sitting down and being like I wrote like you know you write like a hundred words and then you're like oh time for a break (laughs) like just I'm gonna see what's happening on Instagram now what's up check my email um that I'm so distractible it's it's so hard um but then, you know, I, there is, I don't know if you guys, if people have talked about the Pomodoro method where like you set a timer, you try to just write for that 20 minutes or however long, 15 minutes is actually a good chunk of time for me. And then if you get into a groove, you just sort of keep going. But after 15 minutes, you can get up and move and, and it, it helps a lot. Hmm. Okay. So um, for any kind of aspiring writers or or authors that are listening, what would be your advice to them? I always say read, read in your genre, Um, learn the um, sort of the map of the kind of novels that you like, by that I mean sort of the pace. Um, Pick out what you like, like do you like the steamy scenes? And then you could practice just writing one of those. Do you like the fun banter? And then you just practice writing that for a little while. And then also just like, don't hesitate, just go for it. Just sit down, write your book, have fun with it, write scenes that you would want to read and then don't stop until you get there. Cause it's, it's, that's really all that. I mean, there were a million times when I could have just been like, that's it. Like, this is a, this is a sign that I shouldn't do this. You know, I'm done. Like there could, there were a million times that that could have happened, and I was just like, "Nah, I'll just keep going. Let's do it again. <laughs> Go torture myself more." Um, but I have this thing up on my wall. It says, "A professional writer is an amateur writer that didn't quit." And um, I, I, I think it's by Richard. It says it's by Richard Bach. Um, and I, that just stuck in my head for so long, where I was like, "Oh, okay." So I just keep going. I like that. That's nice. <laughs> I like that too. So, Jillian, um, kind of to wrap wrap up this our our interview. What's what's next? We kind of you've already kind of talked a little bit about that, um, but tell us tell us what's next. What what is the timeline? You, you know, you're on a timeline. So, what does yeah. that timeline look like? And besides these next two books, do you have any other things in 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 play? Well, I do know what I want to write after the two books are done. Um, the next Kate's book will come out, 
I think in the fall of 2023, um, because it's a wintry book. So that's going to be like, you know, winter and cozy. And then Bree's book, I think will come out the spring of 2023. Um, but I'm not, I don't have a date yet for that. Um, and then after that, it will be whatever I want to write. And I think I know what I want to write. I've always wanted to write a book about moms during nutcracker season. I've, I'm My daughter dances. <laughs> does your daughter dance too? My daughter does. And does she do the nutcracker every year? Um, so out in, in Phoenix for the last several years, we've had um, – a production of Snow Queen that's in downtown Phoenix. So she's done Snow Queen, um, but they're they're not doing it anymore. Um, so mm-hmm. then this this year she wants to um, to do one of the Nutcrackers. Oh, so cool! It it is such a special time, and the mm-hmm. and and it's very it's. I mean, there's just like a lot of heightened emotions and and. But it's like, I don't know, there's something very magical about it. And so I've always wanted to write a book that's set during Nutcracker season. Um, I think I know who the character would be. I would love for it to somehow be a Nutcracker retelling, like a modern day Nutcracker. I don't know how I'm going to do this, guys, and nobody's <laughs> my idea. But, like, but I really, I really, that's what I'm hoping I can write after these two books are done, because I'm, I would just... I would. I think it would be really, really fun. Oh, that would be fun. And that's yeah. Like just the world of a dance mom is just. Does, does she does she compete? Is she like on a company and compete? No, she doesn't. It's not a competition. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, it's not a competition academy. It's um. It's just all the different styles of mm-hmm. dance. She does tap and jazz and hip hop and ballet. It's so much ballet. Oh my gosh, so much ballet. <laughs> But it's wonderful. Like it's, there are schools in the area where she could do competition teams, but instead they do like um, several performances around over, like they did the Nutcracker in this winter. And then they do a production of Alice, which is sort of like Alice in Wonderland mm-hmm. in the spring and then the title season. So like she has all these opportunities to perform and they sort of rise through the ranks together. It's a really, really lovely. And um but I, I have friends who do the competition mm-hmm. teams, and that's just a different. I mean, it's it's just a different animal. It's a it's definitely a different beast. Because my yeah, my daughter I, competes, and it's just because like she goes to a small studio, so, so um, they've all been together for like I don't know a decade now, and um, so they compete, and like the the things like Nutcracker and the Snow Queen, um, those are all things that she does outside of that that we have to go and audition for, and. Um, so, the, which is good for her because you know she has to go through the experience of what it's like to be a dancer auditioning for a part, and yeah. um, you know, and get... it's, it's it's yeah, I love the um, the growth that it gives, mm-hmm. like and the the sort of independence and and sort of the grit that it gives kids yeah. being like, all right, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to try for this. And I hope she does the nutcracker. Um, she's, she'll be a freshman in high school this year. Um, and she has these goals of doing everything. She is still going to dance with her studio and compete. Um, she wants to do, she wants to be on the palm team. So that's the school dance team, oh, um, wow. which will be fine. Her, the studio owner of where she goes is actually our, 
the, the POM coach at my school. So she'll make oh, the POM team. Like, she'll make yeah, the team. Well, <laughs> yeah, um, make you look at the schedule for her, yeah. Yeah, and then she wants to play badminton. She wants to be in, like, she wants to do the school plays. Like, I'm like, and she's taking honors classes. And I'm like, girl, oh, um, we'll see how long you last. Yeah, see how, see how it goes. That's so cool, badminton team. Yeah. And it's funny because oh. my husband is all about, like, you know, how can we get our kids free money for college? Because my son is 16. He'll be a junior. He plays yeah. he plays varsity football and varsity soccer. So we're already, like, in the recruitment phases. Like, how can he get money in to go play? Like, he can yeah. go D3. We don't care. Just give him oh, some money. Totally. Um, totally. So, so as soon as she said she wanted to play badminton, he's already online looking up, like, do schools offer badminton scholarships? Yeah. The answer totally. to that, people, is no. They really don't. No. <laughs> Not not quite. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but and also, but kind of a great lifelong party trick. Be like yeah. at a casual backyard barbecue. It's like she can hustle people for money. And be like, oh yeah, I played a little badminton. Yeah. And she's like an amazing. Badminton <laughs> That'd be so cool. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll be. Uh, Updating our, our adventures. You know, my, my son is so even keel. Like, he's just like, he has his, I do this, I do that. And he's super yeah. smart. He'll get his academic scholarships and, and all that stuff. He wants to play football. He kind of knows what he wants to do in his life. My daughter is like, I want to do these 75 things all at once, and I can do it because I'm me. <laughs> and um, No, totally. That's such a first child, second child thing, right? Like, the first kid, like, just does stays stays in their lane. They know what they're like. I'm gonna do this, and then the, my son is is the younger one, and he's like, "I love everything. I'm gonna do everything." And I'm like, "You probably are. Okay, I guess I'll just be driving you to everything." How old is he? He's seven. Okay. Um. So yeah. So I have a seven year old and a ten year old, and it's just and yeah, I'm I'm in the thick of it, but it's also okay. like we are cresting to this time where it's so fun. It I'm like, so you guys fun. are people. We are going places. We are not tied to any like little kid stuff anymore. Like it's it's awesome. That is the be- I, that that like those five years from like mm-hmm. seven to to fourteen are like the best. And then yeah. um, then you have like a year where it's just like oh my god, is this ever going to be over? And you remind yourself, I will miss this one day. I will miss this one day. No. And then your first one turns sixteen, and they get their driver's license, and as terrifying that it is as that is. It is the most amazing thing in the world to tell my son, go take your sister to practice. <laughs> go to the yeah. grocery store for me. Yeah. Can you go pick up dinner? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. 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 I know. I but know. I don't want them to get any bigger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Well, Jillian and Liz, it is time for our speed round. Dun, dun, dun. All right, so our speed round, how it works is we have 10 questions. They're either or questions, so no explanation. You just pick your answer. And um, this week we are doing a four ways to wear a dress edition. Ooh, so All no right. explanation. I can't explain my answer when I, I like, – Just an answer. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Um, now, like I said, um, you can try to explain a little bit, and then we'll, we'll cut you off because Liz cuts me off all the time, and she's like, no explanation because <laughs> I want to explain all the time. <laughs> Perfect. I, I'm going to do the same way. All right, Liz, you ready? <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. Ready. All right. Here we go. Number one. Um, surfing. Which order are we going in? Do what? Which order are we? Which order are we going? Oh, oh. I'm like, what order? We're going one through ten. <laughs> <laughs> It's really early for me. I told you I was going to be a hot mess. <laughs> um, we will go, um, Liz, you'll go first, then Jillian, then I'll, I'll answer last. Okay. 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 All right. So number one, um, Liz, I think you changed my boogie boarding. I didn't. I, you put, but, did, you put, did I, is I that what I wrote? Brackets. Uh, okay. All right. So number one. <laughs> See, Jillian, I warned you we're kind of a hot mess at times. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Number one, surfing or boogie boarding? Uh, surfing. Uh, surfing. I'm going boogie boarding. Number two, um, biking around a small town or walking around a small town? Walking around a small town. Walking, same, walking. Same, walking. Three, um, staging photos or candid photos? Candid. Candid all the way. Candid as well. <laughs> um, social media influencer or social media stalker? Uh, social media influencer. Social media stalker. <laughs> Definitely a stalker. That's me. Um, number five, go after your best friend's boyfriend or hands off. Wait, I thought it was going to be best friend's brother. Make your mind up. Oh, sorry, but what did I say? I can't even <laughs> read. Friends. Oh, <laughs> that would completely change your answer. Sorry. Okay. This is why we have it written down. So, Jillian, we're actually changing. I mean, we have the list. <laughs> yeah, that would be okay. That would be horrible. Hopefully everyone would say hands off. Um, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> go after your best friend's brother or hands off. Go after best friend's brother. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Go, go get him. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Um, all right. Family-owned kind of local hotel or a chain hotel? Definitely family-owned. I kind of like the idea of a big, luxurious hotel <laughs> right in this minute. Right in the minute, I'm thinking a giant, even though it's like not the, the opposite of my book. <laughs> um, big fancy hotel right now. Uh, yeah. Um, hmm. I would probably go the same, like the big, big luxury, like. <laughs> Hilton hotel. Resort that is just like um, alright number seven a tiny cottage with an amazing what what did you say there's a delay I said it like two seconds ago oh. explaining. <laughs> uh, see I told you Liz, Liz yells at us she keeps us on track um, okay a tiny cottage with amazing view um, or social media perfect home with the picket fence I don't want tiny. Oh, I go tiny cottage. Amazing view. Same. I want the view. Me too. 100%. Um, then fit fit in with your friend's expectations or be true to yourself and your family. 
be true to yourself. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I agree with that one too. Be true to yourself. Um, This is also how much I just noticed. Liz, we only have nine, so I'm going to make a a random tenth one up when I get there. Um, Okay, number nine. Open up your own coffee shop or your own boutique? Uh, boutique for sure um boutique for sure and this is how in sync liz and i are is that was exactly the one i was thinking of too that you just typed in there all right oh, no way it was it was 100 percent was what i was gonna ask all right last question <laughs> would you prefer a little black dress or a colorful more creative dress I get a little black dress. Me too. I, I've been converted. I, I want the little black dress. I also would go little black dress. All right. So thank you, Jillian, for participating in our speed round. Um, the interview yeah. went great. This was our hot mess segment of the episode. We always have one. Okay. <laughs> um, so, Jillian, let every- <laughs> let everyone know where they can find you on social media. On Instagram, they can find me at Jillian, um, it's a little underscore Libby, and then I'm recently a TikTok person, um, and that's author Jillian Libby over there. Um, There's not that much happening over at TikTok, but I'm working on it. I'm trying. (laughs) I'm more active on Instagram, and you can see pictures of my cute dogs and my cute kids. I just put it all out there. Awesome. Liz, where can we find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram at Lizzie's Little Booknook, and my website is Lizzie's Little Booknook. How are you, hi? Um, on Instagram, I am azdesert underscore bookworm, and my website is tinyurl.com slash desertbookshelf. Um, Liz, I, you're having a little bit of technology issues. Um, yeah. But you seem to be okay. Do you want to real quick just tell us, tell everyone about our next episode in August? So yeah, next episode we are going to be talking about the book club episode. Um, so from what we said on the last time, we are. All right, Liz froze. So. Um, um, if anyone wants, and then, all right, <laughs> Liz is going to take a little technology break for a second. <laughs> so you August, get and you, you can catch me. It, well, it it, it kind of came in and out. It was like you know, like a little gremlin kind of talking <laughs> through the wires. Um, but August eighth will be our August episode. We will be doing our first speaking literally book club and we will have um, a handful of bookstagrammer bookstagrammers on and we'll be discussing melissa albert's new book our crooked hearts so um so super excited about that so check out our information on how to get involved on our social media accounts um and then until then i hope that you guys have enjoyed listening to today's episode with jillian libby jillian again thank you so much for joining us and me of course (laughs) and we hope everybody reads some good books talk to you all soon bye everyone happy reading Bye. bye